Right. Okay. Grab, grab your Bibles. <coughs> um, what we're going to do tonight is get inside Paul the Apostle's head a bit. Um, sort of th- three things that he thought concerning himself, or three three things that he was intensely aware of, and and, and kind of undergirded his life and and so therefore they're they're things that we need to um you know to make sure is is true of of the way we think as well and and with the the, the, the first one there, there, there's an old song um i think it's a johnny cash one and it's called walk tall and uh, it sort of starts off walk tall walk straight and look the world right in the eye that's what my mama told me yeah. when i was just knee high that's, uh, and uh yeah. I, i've i've always that kind of liked that song <laughs> because it, it it depicts something yeah. that i think of in terms of walking tall in jesus yeah. you see what i mean the, this idea that here's someone who's going out and the world is at his feet now I'm going to show you that that's what Paul thought. Paul considered that the world was at his feet. If you go to Ephesians, um, Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, read verse 18 to 21, and then uh, a verse in in chapter 2. So Ephesians 1, these are verses, well, we, we know so well, we look at them so often, don't we? And he writes to the church and he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and in his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and all authority power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the one to come and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way so what he's saying here is that the power that works in us as christians the power of god is exactly the same power as that which raised jesus up and that jesus is now at the right hand of god and he's over everything everything is under his feet but then in chapter 2 verse 6 paul then goes on to say and god raised us up with christ and seated us in Christ Jesus as uh, sorry and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus so what Paul is saying Jesus is at the right hand of God everything is under is under his feet so therefore if we're raised up with Christ in heavenly places everything including the world is under our feet and can you see how that really is walking tall in Jesus the world is literally at our feet because we're raised up with Jesus in heavenly places. And that that's how, as Christians, we ought to walk tall. 
walk tall and look the world straight in the eye. That's what my mum had told me when I was just knee high. Can you see, there's a tremendous confidence in this. Um, There's a a kind of, a, a real sort of sense of power and sense of security. You see, there were certain things that Paul was perfectly aware of, and we need to be aware of, you know, aware of this as well. He knew that there was nothing wrong with him except his sin. Now, can you see what I mean by that? There's nothing wrong with you except your sin. And the point is, Paul knew that his sin had been dealt with anyway. Can you see? The only thing that was wrong with him, his sin, has been dealt with by the same person, the Lord Jesus, who's taken us up into heaven to sit with him in heavenly places. So can you see, he was perfectly aware that God loved him and had chosen him. Again in Ephesians chapter 1, now go back into verse 3 and and let's read verses 3 to 8. And he says, uh, he says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And so can you see that that God chose us and he's brought us into his family and he's done this because it was his pleasure and will to do so. I mean, he thinks we're absolutely wonderful. And the only thing that was wrong with us, now we're going on to see it's something very wrong with us, but the only thing wrong with us is our sin, and the whole point is Jesus has dealt with our sin. And so can you see that that, that, that this walking tall in Jesus, as I'm calling it, this having the world at your feet, having Satan under your feet because that's where he is. Do you remember Jesus said to the disciples, I give you authority to tread on, on, on scorpions and snakes and over all the power of the enemy because we have Jesus' authority. Hello, we're coming. Um, over the powers of darkness. So therefore, because we're raised up with Christ in heavenly places, there's this, as I'm calling it, walking tall in Jesus and so the point is that realizing his love for us and as I say the only thing there's nothing wrong with us but our sin and he's dealt with that anyway that can you see that that's enough to make us walk tall can you see the confidence that that will engender in our lives not in ourselves but in him and the point is it 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 kind of leads to, to what I call a balanced and healthy outlook regarding yourself and regarding life in general because the whole point is we're raised up with Christ in heavenly places he is over absolutely everything which means we are over everything as well and of course the opposite of this is being negative the opposite of this is being down on yourself 
and you know and living the Christian life on the basis of some big guilt and condemnation trip can you, can you see what I mean whereas the truth and this truth we're seeing tonight Jesus said the truth will set you free and can you see how this truth this walking tall in Jesus this knowing there's nothing wrong with us but our sin can you see how that sets us free to be ourselves and I remember I was always struck by um, a, a, a line in a, a, a Graham Kendrick song and it was I'm being myself in Jesus and he's being himself in me you see what I mean and that's the perfect balance because the point is sin prevents us being who we are what if Jesus deals with our sin he frees us to be who we are but the key to being who we are is we can only be who we are to the extent that he can be who he is in and through us because that's the only way that the sin and all the horrid stuff can be overcome but what we need to realize are these things that can hinder us because we're either going to walk tall or as I say we're going to have this you know and lots, lots of Christians and you know I've done it myself and it's something that, that at times I struggle about you, you know you, you can have the, the, the weight of the world on your shoulders as a Christian you know sort of like the guilt the condemnation so we need to, to look at the things that hinder them and we're going to see that all of them are a result of Satan trying to deceive us the first thing that will stop you walking tall in Jesus is condemnation walking around with this sense of condemnation that oh I've sinned yes you have but the point is God's forgiven you go to Romans 8 chapter 1 Paul says quite simply therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus well if we're in Christ Jesus what does that mean raised up with him heavenly places walking tall the world at our feet it means there's nothing to be condemned about if our sin has been dealt with go to Colossians chapter 1 Colossians 1 verse 13 for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins there you go our sins are forgiven go to Hebrews 4 I mean there's no room for condemnation here now there's all the room in the world for admitting when we've sinned and coming clean and confessing that but the point is if we're forgiven as we are then there should be no condemnation none of this oh you know oh Lord I've done it again because whenever we say that the Lord says what have you done that before remember he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west and you know sort of like there's that verse where it talks about that, that, that our sins he will remember no more now that doesn't mean that he forgets God can't forget things I mean you know there's a big theological debate goes on about whether God can forget things of course he can't forget things he's omniscient he knows everything if you've forgotten something you don't know it anymore but the point is it's not a question of forgetting it's what you bring to remembrance and the whole point is God does not bring to his remembrance our sins anymore so whenever we confess sin bang it's gone it's not a question oh Lord I'm sorry I've done it again because he doesn't have any record that we've done it before 
and in Hebrews uh, 4 and verse 14 and, and the writer says therefore since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold firmly to the faith we profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet was without sin let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help even in our time of need so even when we have sinned it's not a question of this you know condemnatory bowing and scraping it, it's coming confidently to the Lord admitting coming clean knowing that the Lord will meet that confession with grace and what's interesting is that obviously in the ancient world and in, I mean almost universally a throne is always a symbol of power but interestingly here what is God's throne a symbol of is it a symbol of his power? Well, no, here, in relation, now, in relation to unbelievers at the great white throne judgment, God's throne symbolizes holiness and retribution and punishment. But for us as believers, what, does his, what is his throne symbolic of? It's not power, it's not righteousness, it's grace and mercy. You see, you come to his throne not to be judged. You come before the Lord to get even more grace and mercy so he can forgive us our sins. So again, you know, seeing that condemnation shouldn't be part of our Christian life. And even when there's conviction of sin, which should be a part of our Christian life, it's not condemnation because that conviction of sin is there until we repent it causes us to repent we lose our peace until we come clean once we've come clean and then committed ourselves to any restitution that we have to make as a result of that sin the point is that then we're absolutely back at peace with God so there shouldn't be any condemnation anywhere along the line another thing that can hinder and again these these are things that I've I've struggled with very much more in the past but although you know sort of I've experienced considerable freedom and victory these are still things that I struggle with though praise the Lord not as much as I used to and the second thing that will stop you walking tall in Jesus is feeling unloved in not realizing just how much the Lord actually loves you uh, go back to Romans Romans chapter 5 and find verse 6 and Paul says you see just at the right time when we were still powerless Christ died for the ungodly very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us now one of the experiences that we often have in life because it's a sinful world um, is that sadly there are people whose family experience from childhood is that you're loved if you're good you're not if you're bad you see what I mean and love becomes something you have to earn you have to perform to receive love well the beautiful thing here the whole point is Jesus died for us when we were absolutely at our worst 
that he loved us when we were at our worst, when we were absolutely dead in trespasses and sin. He loved us, he chose us, he died for us. So the point is that, that, that since we've become a Christian, and this, this was something that, you know, when I started to realise it as a Christian made a big difference, it, it was to realise I wasn't disappointing him in the sense that he wasn't expecting any more of me than he knew he was going to get anyhow. Is it a point? He knows the end from the beginning. Now, I disappoint him in that I still sin. But can you see the point? When God took me on, he knew in advance all my failures. Not just the failures of the past, but all the ways I've yet to fail him as a Christian. Can you see? He knows about those, even the ones that haven't happened, and he still loves me to bits. Can you see the point that I'm making? So even our sin and failure should never ever prevent us from knowing how much we're loved by him. Uh, again, still in Romans, but go to the end of chapter 8. And uh, verse, um, uh, verse 28, and he says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, etc., etc. Verse 31, what then shall we say in response to this? If God's for us, who can be against us? Well, there's a good reason to uh, walk tall in Jesus, because he's for you. He's on your side. He's on my side. Now, yeah, he'll resist us when we're wrong. <laughs> any, any loving father will resist a child who's wrong. But the point is, he's on our side. I am on Bethany's side. You know, I mean, Andy is on Unity Rose's side. That's what love is. God is on our side. And he says um, that, that, that if God is for us, who can be against us? He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How then will he not also graciously give us all things? But then go down into verse 37. He says, knowing all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see this walking tall in Jesus. I mean, what's going to stop us? Wow, this is amazing. And then Paul says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future. Now, that's all your future sins, all the ways you're going to fail the Lord, not the way you've already failed him as a Christian, but that includes all your failures that haven't happened yet, okay? Nor powers, neither height nor depth, and then just in case he's left anything out, he says, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So can you see there, any question of feeling unloved? Now, let me say immediately, it doesn't actually matter if we ever feel unloved, as long as we understand a feeling is just a feeling. The truth is that irrespective of how we feel, we know that God loves us. You see, we have his word. And in actual fact, it's as, as we go by his word and not feelings, what happens is your feelings then start to be as they should be. So the answer to wrong negative feelings is never to work on your feelings. You can't work on your feelings. Don't bother to try. 
but you work on believing the truth and it's as we believe the truth that the truth sets us free and then the Holy Spirit works in us and then our feelings bit by bit over the years become more in line with what they're meant to be okay and and then a, a third thing that will stop you dead in your tracks when it comes to walking tall in Jesus um, is worry and anxiety I mean you know as I often say, so why, you know, why, why pray when you can worry? Mm -hmm. And we all know how debilitating worry is. I mean, you know, look at all the medical evidence of, of, of how worry and stress is a major factor in health, irrespective of yeah. other factors. You know, there are people who live physically healthy lives. You know, they die young of heart attacks. It's stress. It's because they're worrying. And I'll tell you one thing that is really quite interesting. Okay. Um, I, I, I just read, um, you know, a thing, um, you know, it was a medical thing, you know, a paper somewhere. And, you know, there have been a big survey done, you know, records collated. And you know what they discovered? They discovered that people who are a bit overweight, not, not your dreadfully obese barrel types, but people who are a bit overweight, okay, who drink a bit too much, they live longer. They live longer than anyone else. And the reason that they live so long is because when you get overweight people who have a tendency to drink a bit too much, they're the jolly ones. They're the ones with the disposition who, you know, they're very laid back. Everything's, you know, and they don't have stress in their life. So the point is, yeah, worry and anxiety kill your stone dead. Uh, go to Philippians. And these are all the things that Satan uses to prevent us from walking tall in Jesus. So Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything. I mean, that is so universal, isn't it? I mean, it, it really is no excuses there, isn't it? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, what will happen then? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, you know, peace in the midst of the storm. Christian peace, the peace of the Lord, the fruit of the Spirit, it's not the absence of turmoil. It's not the absence of bad circumstances. Peace isn't when you haven't got anything to worry about. Peace is when there's everything to worry about, but you know the Lord's got it in his hand, and so you're not going to worry about it. You see what I mean? That's the key. It's not, you know, being in good circumstances. This is a peace which we should have in every possible circumstance. And uh, just go to Matthew chapter 6, the, the real biggie on this one from, from Jesus. You, you can't really put it better than this. Matthew 6 and verse 25. And, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. Or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? 
Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Now, that's interesting, because Jesus says here, worrying will not add a single hour to your life. But blow me down. Modern science has discovered that not worrying can add years to your life. Isn't that interesting? And Jesus goes on, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? The pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so... There you see, it's kind of, this is, this is a, a contrast between what I call this confident walking tool in Jesus, the world's at your feet, no worries, no trouble, or the, you know, the, the more unbelieving approach when we give in to unbelief, when the condemnation and all the burden and carrying everything on our shoulders. Well, Jesus said that his burden was light. Can you see the point? And of course, another thing as well is that if we're right with the Lord and with our fellow man, and I'm meaning here that if our sins are confessed and dealt with from our side, can you see what I mean? So that there's not undealt with sin in our life. There's no sorries we haven't said to the Lord and to other people. If that is true, then there's no one that you can't look in the eye. And that is powerful. That engenders such confidence. Proverbs 28 verse 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues. But the righteous are bold as a lion. Can you see? Because if we know we've repented of our sins, we have a clear conscience. Because even though we know we were guilty, we sinned, we know we're forgiven, we know we've come clean. Do you see what I mean? So therefore we have a clear conscience we needn't fear man and what men can do to us. Okay, So can you see what I mean? This walking tall in Jesus. This, this was how Paul thought. Um, you know, sort of talking about we're more than conquerors and, and everything like that. Paul depicted this, this almost, you know, this, this very confident security in the Lord. Whereby, as he said, there's, you know, in, in Christ, nothing shall be impossible for us okay so to help you remember that okay raised up with christ in heavenly places that's what paul thought walking tall in jesus we got paul the tall all right so remember that paul the tall now the second thing that we got to move on to that this awareness that paul had of himself can anyone tell me what his name means what does paul mean in greek does anyone know Little. So we've done Paul the tall, but now we've got to do Paul the small. It's clever stuff, isn't it? And this is the other side of the coin. 
Mm. And what we've got to see now is that we've seen that there's nothing wrong with us but our sin. Walking tall in Jesus. But now it's Paul the small, it's this side of the coin that saves us from our sin so that we are actually walking tall in Jesus and not merely swaggering about in our own arrogance. Can you see the difference? Because I'm talking about walking tall in Jesus. I'm not talking about walking tall. There are people in the world. They've, they've got all the confidence in the world. I'm not talking about having all the confidence in the world. I'm talking about having all the confidence in Jesus. You see what I mean? And it's this other side of the coin, the Paul the small, that shows us why it is that we can walk tall in Jesus and it's all of him and not us. Let's go back to Ephesians where we started off. Go to Ephesians 2 and you'll see what I'm meaning here. Ephesians chapter 2 we saw Paul talking about our chosenness and, and God's love and uh, Ephesians 2, I'm going to start reading from verse 6. We saw this verse earlier and I'm going to keep going. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. There's Paul at all. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, mm. created in Christ Jesus. Interesting, that word workmanship there is poema. It's the Greek word we get poem from. And it doesn't just mean workmanship, it means a work of art. It's the work of an artist, a craftsman, lovingly worked on. And that's how God, he works on us lovingly because we are his work of art. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. So the point is, this walking tool that Paul does, he knows that it's all of God's grace from beginning to end. It wasn't of him. The worth, the merit is not in us. It's in Jesus. We said there's nothing wrong with us but our sin. But hey, we've got to remember until we're with Jesus, we are nevertheless sinful. And so the point is, we've got to realise now, Paul the small. And the, the principle here is that any day-to-day -day experience we have of this being raised up with Christ in heavenly places, this walking tall with Jesus, we're only going to experience that to the same extent that we are humbled at the foot of the cross, knowing it's all of him and it's not of us. Uh, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. And Paul says, verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, 
being made in human likeness. Can you see, what we've got here, Jesus, this is down, 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 down. I mean, God becoming a man. I mean, that's, that's enough of a step down for God, isn't it? But not only that, he could have become um, a, a religious Bill Gates, couldn't he? he? He could have become the most powerful man on earth. But no, he became a servant, born into poverty. But not only that, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, this is Jesus going as low as he could have got. And one of the wonderful things about God's grace is it means that none of us can ever go so low that God hasn't gone lower. Because that's what grace is. We will never do anything, however utterly inexcusable, however horribly sinful it is, we can never do anything that his grace isn't sufficient for. Remember, one of the things Paul said in Romans, where sin abounds, grace does more abound. But then in verse 9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So even Jesus, now he could have remained exalted the whole time. He could have just never been anything other than exalted. But in the incarnation, he came very, very low. And the point is that he's raised up so high now because he came down so very low. Now, if that was true of him and he wasn't sinful, remember, he did that for us. How much more should that be true of us? That the being raised up is only ever to the extent that we're humbled at the foot of the cross. So in actual fact, for us, our experience is the lower we are at the foot of the cross, the higher we are in our experience of being raised up with Jesus. Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5 <clears throat> and uh, in the second half of verse 5 this is 1 Peter chapter 5 second half of verse 5 all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because now look at that clothe yourselves with humility um, what do you do in the morning you get up and you go to work. But I'll bet you do something else first. Well, I mean, there's lots of things you do first. But one of the things you do first, you get dressed. Now, and when you get dressed, that's got nothing to do with feelings. What it's got to do is you put your clothes on. It's a perfectly objective act. And in exactly the same way, the Bible says, put humility on. Like a coat, like a pair of trousers, like a jacket deliberately put it it's an attitude of the will okay and he says clothe yourselves with humility towards one another i.e. you choose to live and act humbly it's a choice because god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble humble yourselves therefore under god's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time now, if you do that, look at verse 7, just recapping. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You know, one of the reasons that we end up in bondage to worry 
is that whenever we are worrying and anxious, do you know why we're doing that? It's because we're in charge again. We've taken the responsibility of our own lives back from him. You see, he's our life, not us. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what Paul said. So can you see, worry and anxiety is because we're back on the throne. It's all down to me again. As I say, why pray when you can worry? Can you see the point? So anxiety and humbling ourselves are very, very much tied up. Can you see the point? It's this, it's this humbling yourself, going low in order to be high. So hence, pull the tool. Paul the small. Now, go to Romans 7. Because we've got to see how, you know, the, the rubber hits the road on this one for Paul. And, um, you know, because this, this, isn't, this isn't kind of humbling yourself in a vacuum. Jesus humbled himself in a vacuum. But it isn't for us. Romans 7, verse 18, and then verse 24. Listen to this. Again, this is Paul talking about himself. Romans 7, verse 18, first of all. And he says this. Um, oh, hang on, I'm in 1 Corinthians, sorry, I'm in the wrong. Romans 7, verse 18. And Paul says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I mean, that's a thing to know about yourself, isn't it? Because obviously, our sinful nature, our self-righteousness, our evil hearts of unbelief, they want to think we're good. Paul realised, and it was because he encountered Jesus. Because he encountered, he experienced such conviction of sin. He knew that in him there was no good thing. Then in verse 24, he says, O wretched man that I am. And, you know, I mean, it, we've, we, we, we've been here again and again and again. No one grows in the Lord but that they know that that's true of themselves. O oh, wretched man that I am. And the extent to which we can experience the life of Jesus in us is only ever going to be to the extent that we're humble knowing the extent of our sinfulness and, and, and in true repentance before God. Go to 1 Timothy. Again, this is Paul speaking to himself. 1 Timothy, verse 15. He says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Now, this is Paul towards the end of his life. 1 Timothy was written towards the end of his life. Not right at the end. But this is a seasoned Paul the Apostle talking here. We don't have him saying, I used to be, but I've been sanctified now, so I'm not as much a sinner as I used to be. Paul says, here is a trustworthy saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And one of the things that I think differentiates, sadly, many Christians from Christians who really do walk closely with the Lord is this. There are so many Christians that they will say Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And they believe it. And they're believers. They're born again. But do you know what? They don't add the next bit. They, 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 see, they see it somehow all as past tense. Oh, I used to be a sinner, but now I'm a saint. 
Well, yeah, we are saints. We are sanctified. But can you see Paul, at the end of his life, he considered himself the worst of sinners. So that when Paul was before the Lord in all his holiness, Paul wasn't there, oh, you know, but there are other people who are worse than me. Because when you have a revelation of Jesus, that is not your thinking. All you see is your sinfulness. You see the point? So it's as if no one else exists. So can you see, this is Paul the small now. You know, I am the chief of sinners. That, 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 that's what Paul said. Um, go back to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And remember, this is not some sort of inferiority complex that Paul's got. We've already seen Paul's walking tall in Jesus. Paul was a man who says, there's nothing I can't do in Christ. All things are possible. If it's God's will, it can be done. All right. He's, he's not feigning, you know, he's not into some kind of, you know, he's speaking the truth about himself. And the reason that he was living so raised up with Jesus was because Paul was so aware of his sinfulness and so honest before the Lord about it. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9 and he says for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now even when it came to the calling and Paul he, he defended his calling to the death. He didn't let anyone mess with the fact that God called him, not man. And he would be really upfront about that. And Paul would defend his apostleship as well. But the point was, he knew, he kind of felt that, but I'm the least. Can you see this attitude of humility that characterises him? Go, go to 1 Corinthians, uh, back to chapter 1 in 1 Corinthians. Let's just, just see some other verses here. And in verse 28, he says that God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Do you see what he's saying there? He's acknowledging that he's lowly, that he's kind of, you know, before God is nothing. Not nothing in the sense that he's of no significance, because we are to God. He loves us, we're his children. But Paul was very aware it was all of the grace of God, and it wasn't anything of him. Go, go back to 1 Timothy. And uh, chapter 2 and verse 2. And he's talking about um, praying for kings and all those in authority. And he says that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is very different from some firebrand who thinks he's going to go out and change the world for Jesus. You know, I used to think I was going to change the world for Jesus, but I look back, I mean, it's nice that I did. I was a new convert, but it was pure spiritual pride. I just didn't realise it at the time. Now you realize God hasn't called us to change the world for him. He's called us to live quiet lives. You know, do you know what I mean? Mind our own business. Just get on with, you know, get on with what he's, he's, he's called us to. Uh, go go to, to 1 Thessalonians. You see, so many Christians, they want to make the Christian life so exciting and so almost romantic all the time. 
and sometimes it is but mostly it's just the the the, the common day-to-day -day slog and in, uh, in in 1 Thessalonians uh, 4 and verse 11 he says make it your ambition to lead a quiet life to mind your own business to work with your hands just as we told you to this is all humble stuff isn't it you know this isn't you know sort of go out there change the world for Jesus and make sure you're in all the local papers on the front page that sensationalism is not of the Lord that's far more to do with modern Christianity it's certainly not what the Bible teaches and then if you just go to Romans the last, the last you know bit on, on, on this point Romans chapter 12 because if, if, if we're going to be humble, we've got to live humble. Do you see what I mean? The rubber's got to hit the road. Now listen to this. I mean, you know, underline this. Now then, Romans uh, 12 verse 9. Listen to this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And in a minute he's going to specify what he's talking about. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Now what's the most natural thing for you and I to do? Honour ourselves above others. What are we told to do here? Honour others above ourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction faithful in prayer share with God's people who are in need practice hospitality bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse rejoice with those who rejoice mourn with those who mourn live in harmony with one another do not be proud <coughs> but be willing to associate with people of low position do not be conceited. Now, what do our sinful natures want? Who do you gravitate towards? The in people, the rich people, you know, the, the funny people, the people who are good socially. Who does God gravitate to? The lowly people, the desperate people, the needy people. You see what I mean? Few there are, Paul says, who, you know, are of any significance in a worldly sense. God just doesn't gravitate towards them. So the point is, yeah, what we're seeing here is that in order to walk tall in Jesus, we're only going to do that to the extent that we live this humble life, knowing our sinfulness, knowing it's all of God's grace. Okay. So what we're saying is that Paul walked tall. And he was a big man. But you see, he was a big man in Jesus because... He was a little man as well in himself. He wasn't just Paul the tall. He was Paul the small. And it's only to the extent that we've got that balance that we're really going to get things right. Now go to 1 Corinthians 4 because there's another thing, perception that Paul had of himself, that we need to have too. Paul the tall, Paul the small. No prizes for this one. 1 Corinthians 4. And in verse, the beginning of verse 10, he says, We are fools for Christ. So we got Paul the tall, Paul the small, and now we've got Paul the fool. 
Paul realised that he was a fool. Now, of course, there's a certain irony here. Because what's the wisest thing in the world to do? It's to follow the Lord. But the whole point is that when we come to know the Lord, when we start following the Lord, what we do is we hit up against what the Bible calls the foolishness of God. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Start um, read from verse 25. And he says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before him. It is because of him that you're in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. Who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. When we talk about righteousness and holiness, you know, sort of, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And the Bible says, be holy as I am holy. What, what's the key to being holy? Is, is it trying to be holy? No, of course not. It's realising that Jesus is our holiness. He lives in us. It's us getting out of the way so that he can do it, you see. But the point is that what Paul is saying here is that in order to follow the Lord, then at every point we've got to be willing to look like a fool. Because if you really do things God's way, if you really do things the way that the Bible teaches, then you're going to be doing things the exact opposite to the way that the world thinks. And the problem is that although we're saved, we still have a sinful nature and our, there's a part of us that still thinks like the world, that wants to do it the world's way. So the point is that, you know, we're seeing how do you, how do you walk tall in Jesus? Well, it's by humbling yourself. You know, what's, what, what's the key to gaining your life? It's losing it. What, what's the key to exercising spiritual authority? It's laying your life down for other people and being their servant. You see what I mean? What's the key to being favoured of the Lord? It's putting yourself last and everyone else first. Now, carnal Christians and non-Christians think that's madness. Because in the world you've got to push yourself forward. You've got to be someone. You've got, you've got to be out there. You've got to make your mark. You see what I mean? Well, often God doesn't particularly want us to make a mark. He just wants us to live faithful lives to him day by day and so the point is that we save our life by losing it we hang on to things in the Lord by letting them go we we live to Jesus to die to self he exalts us to the extent that we humble ourselves and all these things if we live like this people attack us they're, they're bad to us what do we do we turn the other cheek we love them back I mean, the world thinks that is utter foolishness. 
and to the world it is but actually it's very great wisdom because that's the nature of God it's his nature to turn the other cheek it's his nature to deny himself and put other people first so actually it's very wise but in the world's eyes it's foolish and even you know I mean for example even when you look at what the Bible teaches about church life and then compare it to what you see out there in the on Christian mainstream I mean you know sort of what do you have in the Bible you have little churches lots of little churches what what's the emphasis out there it's big 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 why well because it's impressive it looks good in the Bible you have lots and lots and lots of little um, little leaders who hardly anyone's ever heard of what have we got out there on the Christian scene all these big famous leaders it's, that's the world's way of doing it and that way you end up looking to man rather than to God when you do it the Bible way which is incredibly unimpressive from, a, you know, from the world's point of view but the thing keeps us humble Jesus is glorified and not us so obviously it's not foolish at all to be a fool for Christ it's actually a very wise thing to do but from the world's point of view it will always look foolish and of course what that means is the more biblically we live the more it humbles us you see the point the more it goes against our pride now the more things go against our pride the more we're humbled and the more we're humbled, the more we realise we're raised up with Christ in heavenly places and can walk tall. Can you see what I mean? So how do you walk tall? Well, by walking small. Can you see? This is a total contradiction. How do you walk tall? Why was, why was Paul Paul the tall? Well, it was because he was Paul the small. And the only reason he could access that was because he was Paul the fool. And the more he was Paul the fool, the more he was small the tall, which uh, Paul the small, which made him Paul the tall even more. Can you see the point? There's a, a pattern here, and that's how it happens. The more we live humbly, the more we're humbled, and the the greater will be our experience of being raised up with Christ in heavenly places and with the world under our feet. But with the world at our feet, living will always be that it's everyone else walking all over us. But that's because God's wisdom is so very, very different from the so-called wisdom of the world. So, there you go. Paul the tall, Paul the small, and Paul the full. <laughs>